Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that not only right at this very moment are you with us, but in every moment of life you are with us. Tonight as we look into your word and we talk about what it means to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, what it means to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead our hearts and our spirits so that we can actually do that. Not so that we can say that we do that, but so that we can actually do that. God, we do, we sing that we want only you, Jesus. And tonight I pray, today I pray, God, that we will actually only want you in our lives. And that out of the overflow of you, Jesus, being in our lives, we will live with love and truth towards every person in our sphere of influence, every person we ever meet, that they will know you because they know us. We pray that your Holy Spirit will fill us now that we can hear your word and understand it and put it into practice each day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's message is a standalone. That means we just finished a series last week. It was Experiencing New Life. And now we're going to go to a new series next week, which is called For Such a Time as This. And the series next week is going to talk about some biblical characters. We're going to start with Esther, which is where the series title gets its name, For Such a Time as This. And when they faced incredible difficulty, challenge, uncertainty. They made decisions and commitments and took actions that didn't just impact their lives, it didn't just impact their families' lives, it impacted generations. And so as we look over this summer at some of these biblical characters and look at their lives, we'll be giving strength and understanding for how we can live in such a time as this. But today, our message is titled, Love God, Love People, experience God unreserved. Love God, love people, experience God unreserved. Well, what does that mean? Ever since last September, we've been talking about experiencing God unreserved. That means to experience God all in. And what we're going to see in this message is when we love God fully, when we love people, neighbors, as we love ourselves, that that will mean experiencing God all in. That's where we're going with this particular message. So one of the things that's very interesting about Americans is that we like our freedom. In fact, I think we like our freedom so much that when I tell you that the only way to experience God unreserved, the only way to experience true freedom is to put ourselves under the rule of God, we all know. Rules? Limits? I mean, in America, the words rules and limits almost sound like swear words, don't they? But here's something very important that we all need to understand. God created us for freedom, but that freedom is always lived out within limits. God created us for freedom, but that freedom is always lived out within limits. A couple weeks ago, if you were watching New Life students online, you saw a vintage message from Pastor Alex, which was called, um, I want to make sure, pushed out of the plane. Pushed out of the plane. 
pushed out of the plane means Pastor Alex was telling us a story about his skydiving experience on his 21st birthday. And the reason it's titled Pushed Out of the Plane is because he literally had to be pushed out of the plane in order to actually skydive. But he tells, tells us that when he was pushed out of the plane and he was rolling through the air, the feeling of freedom, the exhilaration was incredible. Now, I have never skydived, but I've talked with a lot of folks who have, and every single one of them has said there's this feeling of exhilaration, like, like being free like a bird to fly through the sky. But I want to tell you something. Every skydiver has a limiting device known as a parachute. Now, if you didn't have a parachute and you jumped out of a plane from 10,000 feet, you know what a parachutist is called who jumps out of a plane from 10,000 feet without a parachute? Dead. That's what you call them. Dead. That limiting factor is what allows the freedom to be enjoyed. And in the same way, God gives us freedom within limits so that we can live our lives to the greatest intent, so that we can live our lives fully, so we can live them unreserved. So we're going to look at a passage from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus answers a religious teacher's question. And and that question, the answer, I should say, the answer to the question tells us the freedom that we have and the limits that we need so that we can experience God unreserved. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody, this is Pentecost weekend, Pentecost. Now, the word Pentecost is a strange word. It means 50 days. And Pentecost was a Jewish holy day. But just as Jesus took Passover and made it something new when he turned it into the Lord's Supper... 2,000 years ago, whenever Jesus had been risen from the dead, had been on the earth for 50 days, uh, which is where we get the word Pentecost, from the time of Passover, actually, he was only there 40 days, and he left the earth, and when he went up to heaven, right before he left, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in not many days. Well, I guess we could guess from the standpoint it's called Pentecost, it was 10 days later. But there were 120 believers, just 120 believers in Jesus Christ on the whole planet, And they prayed and they waited and they waited and they prayed. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Jewish Day, something happened that has made Pentecost something that Christians look back to ever since that moment. What happened is the Holy Spirit came on those 120 believers. And they were in Jerusalem. They left the house where they were and they went out into the streets. And what they started to do was incredible. They started telling everybody about Jesus in the languages of all the Jews who had gathered from all over the world. Because what happened on Pentecost is Jews had gathered because it was a pilgrimage event one time in the year. There were several of these, but one special time in the year when Jews from all over the world gathered and people from all over the world heard people, these 120 people speaking their own language. If we were there, it would be like we heard somebody speaking in English, which would have been impossible since English hadn't been fully um, developed at that point. But let's just say for the sake of the illustration, we hear somebody in English say to us, Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the way to salvation. And the crowd that heard it, all these people, it says they were perplexed. They were amazed. They wondered, they said, how can this be? And yet there were some in the crowd, there's always some in the crowd, but some in the crowd said, they're just drunk. Now think about that. I don't know about you. I've seen a lot of drunk people in my life, but I've never seen a drunk person who made more sense drunk than sober, and especially not in another language. Anyway, the apostle Peter, one of these 120 believers, stood up among the crowd and he started speaking in Hebrew. Now, why do I say Hebrew? Because all the Jews understood Hebrew, no matter where they were from. And so he started speaking in Hebrew and he said, hey, first of all, these, these people with me, we're not drunk. 
It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. The bars haven't even opened yet. But this is what the prophet Joel talked about. It's the time when his spirit, the spirit of God, is being poured out on all flesh. And so as that moment happened, and as Peter preached about Jesus, 3,000 people in the crowd believed the message. They repented of their sins. They were baptized, and they became the early church, 3,000. 120, there were already 120, but 3,120 people the very first day of the church. And so ever since then, Christians have looked back to that day. And actually, we celebrate it today. Here at New Life, we believe the Holy Spirit's still acting. And, and when I think about Pentecost, as I often do, I think about, wow, would it have been amazing to be there? Because I left out some details. One of the details is, in the, in the city of Jerusalem, there was a sound like a rushing wind. It could be heard all over the city. Now, it doesn't say there was a rushing wind. It was a sound like a rushing wind. And we're told that the 120 people who were in the house, they saw tongues that looked like fire coming down on top of their heads, and, and the Holy Spirit entered into each one of them. Could you imagine being part of that? Now, my, if you will call it Pentecost experience, my experience of the Holy Spirit was nothing like that. There was no rushing wind. There were no tongues of fire. I was in my bedroom and I was praying for God to, to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he did. And I started speaking in another language, just as those people did. And it was a defining moment in my life. And all of us as followers of Jesus have these defining moments. And I'm going to tell you about one more of those defining moments before we move on to the passage from Matthew. So, Here's, here's what happened. I was 28 or 29, so I was 17 when that experience of the Holy Spirit came into my life. 28 or 29, so a dozen years later, I was a youth pastor at, at a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I had been asked to be the speaker at the baccalaureate service for Lakota High School. It was the second year in a row that I was asked. Now, the, two years before, Anthony Munoz had been the speaker, and then the next year I was, and so this year when the senior class was deciding who was going to be the speaker, it was between Munoz and Marshall. Now that might not mean anything to you, but if, if you were here at Knox School District and they were having a baccalaureate service, which by the way, if you don't know what that is, it's a religious service for graduating seniors before they go off into the world, whether high school or college. Well, it would be like if, if you had a choice between Alejandro Villanueva from the Pittsburgh Steelers or Chris Marshall, and you chose Chris Marshall. And so I was pretty amazed that they chose me for the second year in a row. The year before, my message had been titled, Even the Lone Ranger Had Tonto. Pretty catchy title, right? Never heard of Lone Ranger? Google him. Okay, so anyway, I, I, want, I wanted to know what should I talk about this year? What would be something that these hundreds, I mean, their classes had five, 600 kids in. What would it be I could talk to this group? One chance, that's why it's a defining moment, to talk to these young adults as they go off to college or off into the military or off into the working world. The reason I had talked about relationships the year before is because a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and relationship with other people is what helps us to live our lives fully. And so I was thinking, what in the world can I talk about this year? And as I was talking about, thinking about that, praying about it, actually, I was listening to the radio it was a popular music radio station at the day. Now, remember, this is back in 1985 or 1986. And I, and I heard the chorus of a popular song from a few years before that. And it was written by a guy named John Mellencamp or John Cougar or John Cougar Mellencamp. You never knew what his name was from day to day back in those days. But anyway, the song was called Jack and Diane. And uh, if you never heard the song, uh, I, I'm going to sing. I actually am going to sing. The chorus, oh yeah, life goes on, long after the thrill 
of living is gone. Okay, so that was the verse. That was, that was the word that gave me the title for the message. Now, wait a minute. You're thinking, how could that give you the title for a message? Well, what I thought was, I'm a Christian, and I'm only 28, but I know that some people believe life is over at 30, and certainly by 40, you know, the thrill of living is over. That's what people thought back in, you know, the, the late 1980s, mid-1980s. But I was a Christian, and I said, you know, I believe that the thrill of living is supposed to go on as long as we're alive if we're following Jesus. Now, what John Cougar Mellencamp was talking about was the thrill of basically having sex in the back of your boyfriend's car. That's what Jack and Diane were doing. So that kind of thrill is what they were talking about. And I was thinking, if that's what life is about, if that's normal life in America, that the thrill of living is gone, but you just keep on existing for year after year after year after year, then why be normal? Why be normal? And so that was the title of my message that year. Why be normal? Now, that message title almost sounds prophetic, doesn't it? Because what is, what's everybody saying these days? When we get back to the new normal. When we get back to the new normal. And here's the thing. Here's what the word normal means, according to dictionary.com. Normal means conforming to the standard or the common type, usual, not abnormal, regular, natural. So by that definition of normal, why would any Christian ever want to be normal? Why would we want to go to some new normal that's a standard of the normal conduct of people in the culture in which we live? We want so much more than that. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. How do we live a life that isn't normal? How do we live a life that the thrill goes on all of our life until we die and go see Jesus? And Jesus is going to give us the answer to that as we turn to Matthew chapter 22, as we look into the Word of God. Before we do that, I'd like to go to the take-home point. And for those of you who are watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the one point that sort of sums up the message that comes from Scripture, and it gives us something to think about and to pray about and to live out in the week ahead. So here it is. When we love God first and love people as we love ourselves, we experience God unreserved. When we love God first and we love people as we love ourselves, we experience God unreserved. So this take-home point gives us two actions that are necessary if we're going to live life fully. The first is we have to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, would you turn with me to Acts chapter, or Matthew chapter 22. I was thinking of Pentecost there for a minute. It's found in Acts 2. Matthew 22, verse 34 and following. You can also read it from the screen. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second, second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. As a teenager, I read those words. And I thought to myself, wow, Jesus just said that I don't have to read the Old Testament because it's summed up in those two statements, love God, love your neighbor. Now, I'm not suggesting that we ought not to read the Old Testament. That's two-thirds of the Bible. But what I am saying is Jesus told us that the whole Old Testament is summed up by two commands, love God 
and love your neighbor. And in case we're unsure who our neighbor is, Jesus actually defined neighbor, not in this passage of Matthew, but in Luke's gospel, in the record of this very same incident, the the religious leader asked the question, who's my neighbor? Because you see, the Jewish religious leaders thought their neighbors were only people like themselves, thought the same thing, looked the same, acted the same, did the same. But Jesus told a parable. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is actually a ludicrous title for anybody who lived in the first century and was a Jew because the Jews hated the Samaritans. But the hero of the story, of the parable, was a Samaritan who acted kindly towards a Jew. And so what we find out from the parable is that every person is our neighbor. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter what they think. We are called to love each and every person on the planet as if they were ourselves. So, If you're thinking, I already knew all that. None of this is new. I mean, love God, love your neighbor. I've known that since I was in second grade. Well, good. Known that since you were in second grade. I know that. But Jesus doesn't want us to know this. Just know it. He wants us to do it. He doesn't just want us to say, I know that I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. He doesn't want us to just say, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But he actually wants us to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He actually wants us to love every other person as we love ourselves. It's an action. You know, some people say, this is a great moral teaching. No, it isn't. It's a way of life. And it's a command from the living God of the universe. Jesus doesn't want us to memorize The great commandment. He didn't call it the great commandment. We call it that because Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, it's to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But he doesn't want us to be able to recite that. He wants us to be able to do it. Let's say you were training your dog. You're training your dog to, let's say, sit, right? So what do you do? Your dog's standing there, so you say, sit. And the dog stands there with a knowing look on his face and smiles. And you say, oh, the dog understands. No, you don't think the dog understands until the dog does what? Sits. So the same way, Jesus doesn't want us to know that we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. He doesn't want us to know that we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. He wants us to act it out, to do it, to live it in our everyday lives. Now, that's really hard. To love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. To do that means that when we wake up in the morning, the first thing we do is say, hi, God, or however you address God. I don't know how you do that. But, you know, we wake up, and the first thing that we think of is God. Because if if we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, that's going to be the first thing on our mind. We're going to love him with everything we are. We're going to say, hey, God, what do you want me to do today? I'm yours. Let me know. What what is it? And then anytime we reach in our, 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 in my case, I get my wallet out, in my wallet, you know, get out my credit card or a debit card, or, or maybe I use that ancient thing some of you never heard of called a checkbook. Or cash, every time I'm about to do one of those things, which means I'm going to take money that I have and I'm going to spend it, I need to ask God, is this something that would honor you? Is this something that you want me to do? And you're starting to think, well, Chris, that's a little radical, isn't it? Is it? Is it really radical to say if we love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind, that he gets to be the one that we turn to first, that he gets to be the one that tells us how to live our lives because he's first in our lives. Now, Jesus did not say, love God with a little bit of your heart, with a little bit of your soul, with a little bit of your mind. He didn't say, love your neighbor a little bit. 
It's an all-in kind of thing, and that's where we're going with this whole thing. of If we're going to love God unreserved, it means we're going to love him all-in. We're going to do what re- whatever it takes. Do, not just know, but do whatever it takes. So the older I get, the more I realize something so crucial. Loving God and loving other people is impossible without God's love in us first. Loving God and loving other people is impossible without God's love in us first. Some people read the great commandment, and what they think is, that's a great moral teaching. As I've already said, it's not a great moral teaching. It's, it's the command of the God of the universe for those who want to follow and live his way of life. I had an opportunity to take a week of study leave, which actually turned into a personal retreat a couple weeks ago. And as I was doing that, I realized something very, very important. Loving God takes time and effort. Now, if you're thinking, did you really need to go on a personal retreat to know that loving God takes time and effort? Well, yes and no. Yes, I, I did need to take time. I mean, no, I didn't need to take time because I've been following Jesus since I was 12. I've known the command since probably I was in first or second grade. It's not something that I haven't been aware of and haven't even been seeking to do. But, but the reason I say, yes, I needed to take time away is because... I realized during that week away that it isn't often that I actually do follow God all in. And I want to ask you to think about this question. How often do you love God and other people all in? How often is it that you can say, I love God and I love other people all in? And I don't want you to answer too fast because I want you to stop and think about the actions, not the thinking or the intention, but the actual actions of your life. I mean, if you're already experiencing God all in, you're already loving God and people as much as you can, praise God. But, but if you're at least a little bit like me, you probably can think of times when you weren't. Because, you know, you know, sometimes I, I want to love God, but he seems really far away. And, and I want to love other people, but they can be hard sometimes. You know what I'm saying? They can be difficult. And, and, and the thing is, it doesn't say love God when you feel close to him. Jesus didn't say, love other people when they do what you want. He said, love God with everything, period. And, and he said, love other people. Love your neighbors as yourself. You know, it's so easy for us to give ourselves a little bit of slack when we're not perfect, but it's so easy to be critical of other people when they're not. And one of the things that um, I'm going to tell you is it's just two words if you really want to focus on, you know, loving God and, and taking time and effort to do that, then there's these two words that, that we all need to do. Slow down. Slow down. You're, you're thinking, Chris, <laughs> we've been in the coronavirus thing for 11 weeks. It doesn't get any slower than it has for the last 11 weeks. But here's the thing. What I've realized is there have been la- less normal distractions in the last 11 weeks sports isn't there, so I can't turn on the TV and watch some sport thing. You know, entertainment, less entertainment. Not busy running from point A to point B and, you know, meeting with people and going back and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, at the end of the day, dropping into bed so tired that I can hardly stand it so I can wake up and do it again. Those kind of distractions have been gone. That is true. But but the, the truth of the matter is, I still think if I don't do everything fast, I'm wasting time. I still think if I don't fill up the hours in my day with something useful, you know, that I'm, I'm wasting time. And slowing down, oh, that's, that's a hard one. 
But during my study break or my personal retreat, I read two books, and both of them made the same comment about Jesus. And it's going to be on the screen. It says this, Jesus lived his life at three miles per hour. Jesus lived his life at three miles per hour. What does that mean? Well, Jesus walked everywhere he went. He didn't have a car. He didn't have a bike. He didn't have a plane. He didn't have a train, a bus. He did have a boat. I guess it was usually somebody else's boat, and they, they could travel across the Sea of Galilee, but the boat didn't have a motor. And, and depending on how the wind was going, you might have gone slow or even backed up a little bit. But in, the point is, Jesus walked everywhere he went, and he was walking at three miles per hour. So you're saying, Chris, are you saying we should all sell our cars and walk everywhere we go? Heck no. I live in Cabot. I mean, could you imagine if I had to walk everywhere I went? I mean, just to get to church would take me a couple hours. I'm not saying we need to sell our cars. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we need to actually slow down enough so that we can see the other people in our lives and so that we can actually hear God's voice when he speaks to us. We call Jesus Lord and Savior. Lord means that he owns us. He gets to tell us what to do. Savior means that he has rescued us from sin and death. And that means we ought to follow his way of life. His way of life was slow. And and the reason that I think that both of these authors pointed that out is because Jesus would walk from place to place, and he had a plan. He was going from this place to that place to do something, but so often he would get interrupted while he was going, and he would heal somebody, cast out a demon, raise a dead young man for, you know, his, his mother was grieving, and, and these things happened as Jesus was walking from place to place. If we were slowing down just a little bit, maybe we would notice some of these things, and we could step in and really show love to our neighbor And maybe we could hear the voice of God and show that we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Now, I could give you 20 ways that you can slow down. In fact, I've been practicing a lot of ways. But what I really want to do right now is I simply want to point back to Palm Sunday and Pastor Mark's message. Pastor Mark on Palm Sunday suggested that we do something every day that will help us to slow down. And that is scripture before phone. Scripture before phone. If you were there or you watched it online, or, or if you maybe watch it since then, what you know that means is in the morning when you get up, the first thing you do is don't reach for your phone and see, okay, I got a text message. Oh, what's the news? Oh, what's my text? Oh, what? That's not what we do. The first thing we do in the morning is we reach for our Bible. We pick it up and we read a few verses or a few chapters. Or we can pick up our phone and go to the you know, the version app and we can read a few verses or a few chapters from there. And what we do when we do that is what we say that God is first. If God is the one that we're loving with all of our heart, soul, and mind, if he's first in our lives, then it's a simple thing that we start off our day with him first. Now, I've heard a few of you have told me that you've been doing that since Pastor Mark said so and uh, back on Palm Sunday, and it's really making a change in your life. And, and I know it does because I make that practice too. So, for most of us, life lasts 70 to 80 years, plus or minus. Some it's radically shorter, some it's a little bit longer. But we're going to be on the earth for 70 or 80 years. And if we want to live a life where the thrill isn't gone when we're 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, you name the number, the only way to do that is to live it the way we were created to live. That's with God first. And that's with loving our neighbors as ourselves. And as we do that, What we'll find is 
life does go on and the thrill of living. I wake up every morning. I really do wake up every morning. And sometimes I'm tired. I'm not going to tell you I'm not tired. But I'm always thinking, wow, I get to live another day. I always say, thank you, God, because I'm still alive. You know, there's no chalk line around my body. That's a cool thing. That means I still get to have one more day to love you and to serve you. And it's still hard sometimes because sometimes God still, I, I don't hear his voice some days. And, and in those days are hard days. But I'm going to go and I'm going to talk to him first. I'm going to go and put him first. And some days, you know, people are hard. They give us a pain where a pill won't reach, right? But they're, they're still people that we're called to love and to serve and to celebrate. And as we do that, our lives are meaningful and significant. Most importantly of all, they're obedient to the God of the universe. And we experience the joy of that obedience in our lives. It's a lot easier to love God and to love people when we slow down. That's what I'm learning. It took me until almost 63 to figure that out. I hope if you're watching and you're 15 or 25 that you'll learn that before you're 63. Because as we slow down, and we've scripture before phone, as we slow down and let God speak and we actually hear him slow down and say, what's that you need? Oh, and there's actually an interaction between a neighbor maybe one we've never met before. And sometimes that can even lead to Jesus. So that's what I'm asking all of us to do. And let's look at the next step because the next step also gives us a bigger picture of what that looks like. It says this, I love God with everything. I will love God with everything I have and other people as I love myself this week. I will love God with everything I have and other people as I love myself this week. Now, yes, that is a little general. You're going to have to flesh that out. But let me, let me just say this. If there's anything that is more thrilling in your life right now than God, then take the energy you're putting into that and putting it, put it into God. That's, that's a very concrete way that you can love God all in this week with everything you have. And then the other thing is when you see people, any person, doesn't have to be somebody you know, just ask yourself, is there something that I can do to show them the love of Jesus today? And as we do those two things, as we do all those, those two things, what we will find is as we love God and as we love people, we will experience God unreserved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have so much patience that if it takes us until we're 63 or 83, you still walk with us. And God, I thank you for Jesus simple message, so hard but so simple, and, and, and that is, if we love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we love our neighbor as ourself, we will be doing the greatest thing we could do with our lives. And God, again, I pray for the Holy Spirit to work in us so that we can do that this day and every day. To your glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.